What is going on, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders. I am very grateful to have your attention, at least for the next 15 minutes of this episode. Forward Thinking Founders is a podcast where I interview pre-seed and seed stage founders about their products, what they want to build into the world, and why. We dive into how they spend their time, what's their vision, what's the origin of stories, all these things, so you can learn all about what's coming tomorrow. Because these companies haven't hit critical scale yet. Most of them haven't hit product market fit. These are just early stage companies, and the big question is, what can this be? And in this podcast, we bring that out. So with that, I really hope you enjoy your time listening to today's episode. And I've already done 200 plus, so if you like this one, listen to some of the other ones, like with Imadi Kuhn, Austin Allred, Leah Culver. We have great interviews, so check it out. Enjoy the repository, and for now, let's get into today's episode. Here we go. All right, how's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders, where we talk to founders about their companies, their visions for the future, and how the two collide. Today, we have an early bet segment talking to Ben Gross. Welcome to the show, Ben. How's it going? Hey, Matt. How you doing? Thanks for having me. I mean, really appreciate you know all the work you're doing uh, highlighting sort of the next great founders, investors, and innovators. Uh, excited to be on. Yeah, excited to have you on as well. And I appreciate that. For people that are just listening to for the first time in regards to early bets, I... 90% of the time, I just interview founders um, that are, have companies, they, they have a little traction, things like that. But every so often, uh, um, I do these segments where I interview people just that are doing interesting things in tech that are involved with many things that I think, you know, are going to do some interesting stuff in the future. Um, and I kind of label that as early bets. And I've done a, a few at this point, some of them you may have heard of. And today we're doing Ben. Um, so Ben, so to, to dive in, um, let's just kind of start with what are you working on and kind of get, let's give everyone a brief introduction of kind of like who you are and what you work on. Yeah, for sure. So I'm doing a couple of uh, pretty cool things right now. The first of which is I'm investing at Hillside Ventures. So Hillside is an early stage fund, uh, semi-affiliated with the University of Connecticut or UConn, as you'll hear me call it. Um, early stage fund focused on insure tech sustainability and ed tech. Um, so we raised about $1.5 million um, and deploying checks anywhere between 25,000 and then 75,000 uh, or somewhere in, is sort of in, uh, in that range and been an awesome experience so far. Um, you know, it's been really incredible to sort of move from the founder seat where I was a couple of years ago uh, and move into the investing side of things. And then along with that, I'm also the head of the Gen Z VC club on Clubhouse, where I host uh, weekly or biweekly panels um, with, you know, the next up and coming Gen Z investors and, uh, and occasionally a couple founders in there as well. Um, so we've had, I believe, six episodes so far, um, you know, focused on, you know, anything within VC ranging from different verticals uh, to different strategies to, you know, different size funds um, as well. So, you know, I've absolutely loved uh, doing that, been able to meet some some awesome founders, some awesome investors, um, and some really good friends as well. And then the final thing I'm doing right now is I'm also working for IEQ Capital. Um, IEQ is an investment firm out of uh, the Bay Area with about uh, 10, 10 and a half, 11 million dollars or billion dollars AUM. Um, and I'm doing uh, private uh, investment uh, research for them. So focusing on venture capital, private equity, growth equity, um, commercial real estate, uh, distressed or private debt, you know, really the entire anything throughout the entire stack of the the private investment spectrum. Uh, and then along with that, I'm also a student at UConn, uh, majoring in management with focus in entrepreneurship, and then a minor in data analytics. And then I'm also on the track team here. So that about rounds me out. 
All right. So you're doing a few things for sure. Um, that, that's awesome how Axe VR in all of that. I kind of want to dive into um, this realm that I, I think a lot of us, on at least on Twitter, have seen the rise of, which is the, the, the second kind of point you said, which is you run a, a, you know, something along the lines of the, the Gen Z VC club, you know, on, on Clubhouse. Tell me what's going on with Gen Z VCs. There's a, meaning like, you know, I keep seeing like there's just a New York Times article about the about Gen Z VCs. There's an awesome Slack community. I, I I'm connected with so many super talented young um you know VCs, associates, principals, some partners. Um, and there's this this wave of of younger people becoming VCs, which to me makes a lot of sense based on innovation understanding. But like, can you kind of give me an idea of like from your perspective being in it? What do you think is leading to the rise of Gen Z VCs and what's your perspective on, on what's going on here? Yeah, you know, I, I think the first thing is over quarantine, you know, and, and this is for myself and I think I've seen it in a lot of others as well. Quarantine really gave people, you know, for however, you know, however sort of sucky it is. And it's, you know, obviously awful what happened with the with the pandemic. But, you know, I've seen a lot of, you know, people in Gen Z, whether they're interested in VC or not, you know, really take the time to dig into things that they're really interested in. Um, and one of those things being innovation, I think, you know, you mentioned it, Gen Z or people, you know, in Gen Z are, are really drawn to innovation because that's sort of the, in the lens in which they grew up in. Um, and I think they, they sort of realize that Gen Z or that, that uh, sorry, that VC is sort of the, uh, you know, the new IB, you know, in, in a sense, in the fact that it's something that they're really drawn to, yes, because of the attractiveness of the returns and, and potential. Um, but I think it also does a really good job of marrying, uh, you know, that side of things with also what they're really interested in. Um, and so I think, you know, quarantine gave everybody a really good opportunity to jump into that. Um, and one of those, you know, you have sort of the, you know, what I would say is the, <clears throat> the, the relighting of, of Twitter, you know, especially for uh, people in Gen Z, where it's, you know, it used to be just sort of a, a meme focused, you know, social media site has not really, you know, blossomed into a much enhanced version of LinkedIn. Like, I don't, I don't use LinkedIn anymore. Like, I get all my connections you know, through, you know, through Twitter and then also Clubhouse, which I'll sort of transition to. I mean, Clubhouse is something that I got on in, in October. I know they had been around for a while um, and initially didn't think too much of it, you know, didn't really know many people on there. But as I, you know, continued to grow my following on Twitter, not that I have a huge following or whatever, and just get more active with, with people in the community and actually focus on developing good relationships rather than developing a lot of relationships. Um, you know, I was able to, to develop a little bit of a following and sort of took a thesis that I had that, okay, people want to hear what Gen Z VCs have to say, you know, they don't necessarily want to hear what I have to say, but I know there's a lot of people who want to hear from Gen Z VCs in general. Um, so with that, I sort of, you know, you know, talked to Megan Lois, who's the founder of sort of the Gen Z VC Slack community. Um, and we just sort of went on a, you know, we just did an experiment just one time really quickly just to sort of see what would happen. And, and the response has been awesome. Um, you know, it's been super fun to, to create and cultivate that community. Um, but it's obviously a smaller part of something that that's much bigger. Uh, and I think what you're seeing is a lot of these new, you know, apps and platforms uh, and startups that are coming out are connecting with, with VCs, both in the fact that, you know, v, Gen Z VCs are, are, or, Gen, or Gen Z people are using them. But they're also really attracted to the the style and the, the authenticity that these apps are able to and these platforms are able to um, are able to cultivate outside of the actual product. So I think there's a, a couple different things working. Um, but you're seeing, I think, in general, uh, 
Gen Z really take an active role and, and really dig into the learning process too, which is, which is also, you know, a really important side of this. And through that, you're seeing a lot of growth, um, both in terms of Gen Z VCs impact on social media and clubhouse, um, but then also their, their impact in, in the boardroom or in investing. So I think those are the, the two really big takeaways for me. You mentioned that there's something about Twitter, which is I, I, I ironic because uh, earlier today, I was giving a presentation for uh, the school that I went to, ASU. I was doing uh, a presentation for them. And I mentioned it. Oh, yeah, like Twitter is the place to be if you want, if you're in tech, not not LinkedIn. And a lot of them were just, you know, baffled. And I think most people are. Uh, most people most people don't actually understand the magic that happens in Twitter. I'm curious for you, if, if you're, can you describe the asset that Twitter is to, to you, maybe, and also just to anyone that like wants to break into tech or describe even what's going on on Twitter right now, because I it is magical and it's hard to describe. So I'm like interested to hear your perspective as someone kind of in Gen Z and kind of getting all the, the benefits from it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think I think this goes for me, and I, I'm sure it goes for others as well. But for me, it's the difference in psychographics between uh, uh, sort of the the psychological difference between using Twitter and using LinkedIn. Um, you know, a lot of my friends that I know when they go on LinkedIn. You know, they have the professional headshot. Um, they have this, you know, tailored, you know, one or two paragraph bio about them that you know, they'll, they'll literally take an entire class on writing, which I think is ridiculous and a complete waste of time and money. Um, but then you look at their Twitter and they're actually themselves and it's not necessarily professional, um, but it reflects better. And I think people prefer to be in that situation where they can reflect better and, or, you know, they, they can more be themselves, you know, you don't, you know, nobody goes on, on, you know, LinkedIn to, to laugh or to be themselves or, you know, or really to find friends, it's to find connections and to better yourself, you know, for, for your profession. Um, and I think there is a place for that. And that definitely has some value. Um, but I think that the value that, uh, you know, a, a good experience on Twitter can provide is far more valuable. Um, you know, I'm not, you know, obviously, you know, if you're just going on Twitter and doing random stuff and not actually doing anything, you know, you're not going to get the value out of it. Um, but if you're going on there, you know, for the purpose of furthering yourself and your education and your edu- and your, your investing and your professional life, you know, you're able to take sort of that, that drive and that goal, but then also marry it with the fact that you want to be yourself on that, on that platform. And there is room for you to sort of joke around and have fun um, and act in, you know, not necessarily an unprofessional manner, but, you know, an, a, a manner where it's not, you know, you know, correct grammar and, and, and all this stuff that, you know, really is associated with LinkedIn. Um, so that's really, I think the, the main driver of sort of that difference, but I think it also, you know, it, you're able to show your true colors on Twitter, which means that people get to understand you better. So, you know, I've connected with people on, on Twitter who I don't think I would have connected with, uh, you know, on LinkedIn because they saw some of my tweets, they saw some of the work I was doing that I was posting on Twitter and they're like, Hey, this is, this is really cool. You know, I, I, you know, I love the fact that you're, you know, you're, you're 22, you're in college and you're doing all this stuff, but then, you know, it's also, you know, in a laid back, you know, laid back, but professional style. Um, so I think it just allows for a little bit more flexibility and um, that, that allows Gen Z's to, able to, to showcase who they are, um, you know, in terms of their personality, but then also, you know, their skill set in, you know, a little bit more dynamic of a, uh, of a way compared to, you know, a LinkedIn or a, or a Facebook. I think that's very well said. 
Um, so I kind of want to ask a, a fairly open-ended question. You're you're involved in venture in many different ways, and it seems almost like three different ways. So I'm just kind of curious of all the stuff that's happening in the world right now, in the market, you know, and the technologies that are being built. What is anything that that's interesting to you right now? What's something that's cat that, that a trend that that's intriguing, a startup that's caught your eye? Um, just anything that has your attention. I'm kind of curious to hear what you're thinking about. Yeah. Um... You know, I'll take this from a, from a perspective sort of of Hillside, but then also also personal. Um, so at Hillside, you know, I, I mentioned before, we invest in sort of those those three segments. And that's fairly thought out, you know, just given that we are associated with the university and we want to, you know, obviously reflect well on the university. Um, but it's also a function of what we are interested in. And I think at the beginning of, of quarantine and throughout the, the rest of that, the end of that spring semester last year, Myself and many others, uh, you know, across you know the across, you know across UConn, across the United States, you know, and across the world, realized how broken the education system was. Not for ourselves, but also for you know the levels under us, you know, high school, middle school, elementary school, and then also the post-secondary, uh, you know, education system as well. Um, and I think we realized that there is a a lot of work to do, um, but we also hold a lot of those insights. Um, so I've really been focused on the on the education space. Um, you know, understanding is is part of it, and going in and and understanding and talking to kids, um, you know, who I may not have talked to before. You know, whether they go to UConn or other universities, or you know, whether they're even in the United States, and understanding, you know, where where do they see the education system lacking? What are the holes in there? Um, and through there, I, you know, I found that there's a huge disconnect between the type of content that you know, students actually want to consume and the type of content that is out there um, that's, or that, that's really readily out there. Um, and the thing I, you know, the, my other point sort of going off that is the fact that there's a lot of people out there who want to create the type of content that we want to consume. And, you know, when I say we, I both mean, you know, people in Gen Z, people older who are looking at, you know, some type of reskilling slash, uh, you know, reschooling, um, you know, product, you know, and, and those younger as well, you know, in the, in sort of the elementary through, through high school, uh, school system. Um, and so there's, th there's, there's those three, three components, you know, the fact that, you know, we want to consume, you know, a different type of content, you know, that content isn't available, but there's people that want to create that content out there. And, you know, I think what we've seen from that is the rise of a couple different platforms, you know, like a, a masterclass, uh, teachable campus wires, another cool one, um, you know, that are allowing people to consume content in a, you know, in, in a variety of different ways, whether it be through a formal education, uh, you know, uh, education, you know, like, a, like, like a university or a college or a high school, you know, or just sort of through a on your own time type video, um, you know, like a masterclass or even like a, a mix of the two, you know, like a, like a teachable where you have it's the you know, it, it is those, you know, those teachers and professors, you know, teaching that, you know, that type of content, but in a little bit more of a, of a laid back and not as formalized manner. Um, so that's really the area that I'm looking at. I think there's a ton of innovation going on. Um, and I think you have a ton of product market fit and it's going to be really interesting to see how, you know, that evolves as, you know, as a lot of schools move back to in-person, um, I still think you're going to see that need there. Um, and it's, it's just going to be really incredible to see the amazing founders that come up with these awesome solutions that are going to drive, uh, you know, the, the future in, you know, in the U.S. And, and abroad as well. I'm curious, have you done any research in your kind of diving into education? Have you done anything in the sector of micro schools at all? 
I've, I, so I haven't actually diligenced any companies, but I've definitely looked at a couple. Um, they're really interesting. Um, it's uh, the, the scalability is the one thing about the net that worries me, I think. Um, but it's really interesting. I think that personalization, customization, optimization are, are, are really the three buzzwords. I think that I'm really interested in when it comes to, uh, just to, to add tech and, and education in general. And I think that micro schools really hit on all three of those. Um, and that's, and, and the reason, and, and for that reason, you know, the fact that they, they do provide so much value is the fact that I am bullish on the space, even though I do have concerns, you know, about some of the, um, the operational and then, you know, also regulation sort of red tape, uh, you know, stuff that is basically bureaucracy that is, that is associated with the education system. Yeah, I, um, about a, what, what's, what, where are we in? Yeah, so about a year ago, a little over a year ago, I started working at Prenda, um, which is a company in the micro school space. And I worked there for 10 months. And yeah, uh, it blew my mind, like the type of stuff that was happening. Like I checked out, you know, dozens of micro schools, uh, not dozens, maybe a dozen of micro schools. And it's just, uh, it's special. Like education, you know, education is a fun sector uh, for sure. One other qu question that I had for you, um, you know, it, it, it's more kind of been an, an advice style question. Like I think a lot of people um, of all ages, your age, my age, older, younger, um, kind of want to break into tech. They want to get into VC. They want to start a startup. They want to just like get into the network. Um, but it, there isn't like a super, you know, oh, just do this, 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 and like you're in, like Mazel Tov. What would you say for someone just wanting to break into tech, whether it be VC, startups, um, you know, what, what are some tips that you, that what are the things that you've done that you would kind of impart on potentially some others? Yeah, that's, a, that's an awesome question. Um, you know, that's a question I asked myself, you know, a couple of years ago as well. I think it's, it's a question that everybody asks themselves. And I think it's good, the fact that there's not a lot of structure there. Um, I think it shows that there's a lot of different ways to do it. So, you know, you know, for those listening, by no means take my advice. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, I, you know, it worked for me and I hope, hopefully it works for others, but you know, there are, there are a lot of ways to do it. So, you know, there's not one, one golden way. Um, but sort of, you know, in terms of advice, what I would say is the, the biggest thing is find something you love. Like everybody's so drawn into tech and VC and, and innovation. And, you know, they're not always drawn into exactly what excites them. The fact, the fact that they're in that space excites them, but they're not actually excited about what they're doing. Um, so the first thing is find a niche that you love. You know, it's similar to a go-to-market strategy for a startup. Find a niche, kill that niche, and then expand. Like, it's the exact same thing for understanding, you know, where, where you fit in the tech and investment and, and VC ecosystem. So that is probably the, the main thing I would say. Um, and then, you know, along with that, you know, I think the, the other really important thing, um, you know, is to put yourself out there, you know, write, read, listen, um, you know, talk to people, you know, cold emailing is, you know, can be tough and can be daunting, especially for, for university and college students. Um, but it's something, you know, important you have to do. Um, but you also want to be able to provide value and putting yourself out there through writing medium articles or Substack or, you know, or doing your own podcast, um, you know, all, A, it shows that you're out there and shows people that you're really interested in the space, but then it also, you know, gives you sort of a, that boots on the ground experience, you know, where you're talking to people in the space, you're learning from, you're learning from them, you're able to make your own investment thesis, you know, there are so many great investors and founders out there that write awesome stuff, like, there are so many great sub stacks and, and Spotify and, and, you know, and podcasts and all this. 
And I see a lot of kids, what they do is they just take, they listen to one and they silo themselves to that one. And they take, and they, they adopt all of their views and their, the, you know, their theologies and their, you know, their mental models and all of this. And that's good to a point, but you're basically just a copycat of them. You know, I think it's important that people develop their own investment thesis, their own mental models, you know, their own due diligence practices, you know, all of this stuff is, you know, that's something that you want to work on. You know, you don't want to be the next Andreessen, you want to be, you know, the, the next yourself, you want to, you know, further yourself. And I think, you know, people don't necessarily trust that they can get there. It's something that I definitely went through. Like there is a point and, you know, I still experience, you know, times where I'm like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can make it. Um, and that's natural. That's good. You know, it keeps you on your toes. Um, so also be sort of be wary of that and understand that it's not going to be an easy ride. Uh, you know, you will experience failure a lot, you know, a lot more than you experience success. Um, but, you know, be, make sure that you're able to sort of look back at those mistakes and, and take the, take the value out of it. You know, just because you failed doesn't mean you did something wrong. You know, there may be variables out there that cause you, you know, to fail. And if you do that exact same thing, five more times, you may succeed. Um, and on the flip side, if you succeed, that doesn't mean you did something right. You know, there could have been other variables that helped you succeed. So it's important to look everything, look at everything, you know, through a clear lens, um, you know, be patient, take your time, uh, you know, don't get too worked up. Um, and then I think obviously most importantly, going back to what I said, you know, do something you love. If, if you're just getting into tech or VC because it's what your friends told you to do or, or because it's the next hot space, you're not gonna succeed. Um, as, or at least it'll be very hard for you to succeed. So find something you love, find that niche and, and sort of, and grow it out, you know, you know, dominate that niche, uh, and then expand from there. I mean, I'm still, you know, I'm still in the process of, of finding and dominating that niche. It's not a, it's, it's not a, you know, a couple week or a couple month process. It's something that takes time. Um, and that's the other thing, you know, people try and break in, you know, in two or three months and it just doesn't work. Like there, there's a, there's a timeline to it and you have to, you have to respect that and acknowledge it, um, and, and reconcile that and, and know that it's going to, going to take a little bit of time. One thing I'll, I'll add on to everything you just said is so golden. I almost want to just like snippet that and just share it, you know, everywhere. Cause I think that that's great in regards to the fact that it, it takes time. I think like the way that, that if I, if I could give my 20, really 22 year old self advice, that's when I broke into tech. That's when I decided I was, uh, I was um, going to kind of be in startups and stuff. It would be like, it's going to take longer than you think it will. So just enjoy the ride. Like it will always take longer than you think. Um, and it's, I still, it's still that case for me, even where I'm at, at today. And there's still so much farther to go to break in. Um, so it's just like enjoying the ride is like you said, finding something that, that you love um, is super, super key. Mm-hmm. And and the one thing I, I'll, I'll add on one thing to that, you know, when I look at a lot of kids who I've talked to, you know, who are my age and trying to break into to VC or tech, you know, the main driver of them of you know of them trying to to break in and, and networking and all this stuff, the main driver of it, the main reason that they're motivated is a timeline, um, and that's the totally wrong way to think about it. The main you know your main goal and your main uh, you know motivator should be, you know, something that is not necessarily. That, that isn't, you know, time related, you know, you don't want to say, okay, I'm giving myself two months or three months to get a job. I want to have a job in this amount of time. That's the total wrong way to think about it because you're not pl- placing an emphasis on the learning. Um, and you're not taking, you're not placing an emphasis on the experience. You know, I, if, you know, if I wanted a job in two months, I could go get one. Um, but what if, what if in three months, a better job comes along? You know, you, you, you have to be patient, find something you like, don't put a clock on it. Um, you know, obviously, or, you know, you can put a clock on it, but don't make it, you know, a super, you know, make it, make it, make it flexible. 
Um, and don't make it your biggest motivator, make, make learning and growing an experience, your biggest motivator. Like that is, and that is clearly like the, what, what people succeed or the, I mean, that's, you know, getting all that is, is what people ex- or uh, what causes people to succeed down the road, you know, not finding a, a job the quickest they can. So, you know, some people, and I know, and, and it's tough. I mean, you know, have, you know, as, as a, as a college student, you have a clock, you know, in terms of getting an internship in a certain amount of time. And, you know, obviously people want to get a job coming out of college. Um, and, and that's, you know, obviously something to think about. Um, but it, you know, it's, it's hard to, to make that not the main motivator. Um, but I challenge people to do it, uh, because you will learn a lot more and, you know, you will get definitely a, you know, a better bang for your buck. Um, and it'll be a, a far more enjoyable experience. Yeah, very, very well said. If someone wants to hear more of what you're, you're saying, they want to learn more about you and find you on the internet, where can they find you? Um, or it, ultimately if you just have anything to plug, um, social or project wise, you know, feel free to plug it. Yeah, for sure. Um, so my, my Twitter is Ben underscore gross. Uh, it's uh, B-N underscore G-R-O-S-S-E. Uh, you can find me on there. Feel free to DM me, interact with me. Uh, I'm on Clubhouse. Uh, I think it's just uh, just Ben Gross. You know, also, uh, you know, operate, as I mentioned before, the Gen ZVC Clubhouse. So make sure you give that a follow. Uh, tune into our conversations. Uh, you know, it's just about every other Sunday, I think from now on it it will be, you know, right around anywhere, right, right around 7 p.m. Uh, Eastern time. So make sure to tune into those. Um, you know, if you have any questions about Gen ZVC uh, in general, uh, you know, feel free to reach out to me. I can get you connected in the Slack group uh, if you're not. And, you know, otherwise than that, uh, I don't think so. because I think we're all good. All right. Well, that's a wrap. Thanks for coming on to this episode of Early Bets. Uh, you, you crushed it. Lots of awesome learnings. And I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, of course, Matt. Thank you very much for having me on. Uh, Really enjoy this conversation.